Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12 actually, it says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I connect this saying to what it says in Revelation 19 about armies of the earth going against the armies of God. And it's saying here in Hebrews 12 that we are currently enlisted in a timeless army of men and women who recognized that they had been thrown into very real and very serious battles in an epic war. These people realized that they themselves were the things being warred over. They were what was at stake, and they were called not to await an outcome, but to take an active part in fighting the battle as if their very lives depended on it, because in fact they did. So try and envision this with me, if you will. You are part of this army. You currently stand shoulder to shoulder with some of the most most prolific human beings to have ever lived this life, united across history and brought together closer and closer by sharing hardship and by sharing a common enemy. Because right now today, every single one of us in this room and those listening from home and those that might listen to this ever are in a spiritual warfare. We are at war currently. And it's not a war where we passively watch God spar over evil for us. It's not a war against mischievous spirits, as we can sometimes think of demons, that just kind of are troublemakers and want to trip us up from time to time. This is a very real and very dangerous type of warfare against an organized system of cosmic or spiritual beings. Paul calls them principalities or powers. And these beings are designated, or designed, this organization that these beings comprise, are designed for your destruction. And that's it. That's their one overarching goal, is your destruction, and they don't take days off. This is real, and this is serious. Sometimes I think we can realize this more clearly than at other times. Uh, Sometimes I think we, we minimize the effect of the spiritual, because while we know the spirit world is real, it's uncomfortable in our modern world as we kind of become more and more blinded to the powers that are against us, at least the world around us is. But this, this can cause us to not see as clearly as we should and not take this as seriously as we should. But we need to wake up because this army, led by the living God that we are a part of right now, this cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, is not something to take lightly, and it's not a responsibility that we should ever be shirking. The problem is that awareness that we are at war or in spiritual warfare is not all there is to it. Sometimes, in fact, a heightened awareness of this spiritual battle or the spiritual war that we find ourselves in can actually cause us to freeze up instead. We become paralyzed by indecision once we see the complexity of the nature 
of the battle that we're actually fighting. And we never know how exactly we should act first. Do we send out our armies? Do we strike from the air? Do we defend from the sea? Do we overcome a trial? Do we push away temptation? Do we fight through complacency? These are the battles that we're fighting. Fortunately for us, our adversary Satan and those in league with him have continued to fight in the exact same way over and over and over again. And they do this because the tactics they use are specifically designed to attack our weaknesses, exploiting certain things that all of us share. And you'd think, why would he act the same way? Isn't he smarter than that? Isn't he more cunning than that? Yes, but the reason he doesn't change his tactics is because they've continued to work time and time again all throughout human history. But this puts us at a bit of an advantage, knowing that he fights the same way over and over again, because then we have the enemy's playbook. We can use it to know that he's going to come after us, and we can use it to better equip ourselves to fight alongside those that have gone before us. There are three things that the Bible speaks of, more specifically the Apostle John, that all humans are susceptible to, that Satan will and has used to his advantage in the past. Those three things are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. This is where Satan attacks every single time. To look at the first attack, if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Because good record has been taken, and we can see the attacks that have happened before us so that we can learn from them. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice here what the woman said, or what the woman does, what she concludes from this speech from Satan. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. It was good for food the lust of the flesh, this would sustain her, not God, this. It was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. This was what was pleasing to her, not God. And it was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. This would be the thing that elevated her, not God. But still, we know the story, even though we failed here, humanity, our collective spiritual army that we are a part of across time, even though we failed, God remained resilient and his plans were not thwarted. He wanted us to remain in his army and so he carried on for our sake. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll see the second attack on mankind. Paul writes about it. 
Paul says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Evil things, the things that Satan puts in front of us. And then in verse 7, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The lust of the flesh. This will sustain us, not God. In verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. The lust of the eyes. This is pleasing, not God. Verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer, the pride of life. We will elevate ourselves. We will complain to God and he will listen. We will elevate ourselves, not God. Verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. These words were never truer than they are right now. They were true in Paul's time, but they were never truer than they are today. These were written as examples that we might learn because Satan and those who fight with him continue to use the exact same tactics. And still here with ancient Israel, even though we failed, humanity, our collective army, this cloud of witnesses, even though we failed, God remained resilient and wanted us to remain in his army. So for our sake, he carried on. There's a third attack written about in the Bible, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Because this tactic worked on the front lines with Adam and Eve. It worked right off the bat. It worked with the bulk of the army throughout ancient Israel's history and on into human history as well. Why shouldn't it also work for the captain of that army? who came to join the fight himself. And this is exactly what Satan thought, and it's exactly what he tried. In Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread, the lust of the flesh. But Christ's response, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He won. Verse five, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. The pride of life. But Christ's response in verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, as ancient Israel did, as Eve and Adam sought to do. In verse 8, again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He showed them to Christ in all of their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me the lust of the eyes. But Christ's response, then Jesus said to him in verse 10, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So where we, as the army of the living God, have failed constantly, God remained resilient on our behalf 
and he carried on. We absolutely have to wake up. We absolutely have to realize the severity of the war that we find ourselves in right now. And we have to take seriously the fact that we need to be actively wrestling against the powers of darkness and not complacent. But even then, even after we've done all of these things and we can see clearly what's going on, who we're fighting against, understand fully the tactics that are used against us, get closer and closer to perfecting the fighting style that God outlines for us in the Bible, as Christ did when he refused to submit to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, we have to take even one more step past that. Because we have to realize that the war we're fighting is not an end unto itself. Perfecting spiritual warfare is not the end that we're looking for. It should not be a place we get too comfortable. We have to remember instead the reason we continue to fight. The thing on the other side of the war that we're fighting for. J.R.R. Tolkien, when he spoke of World War I, he's the author of the Silmarillion, the Lord of the Rings series, The Hobbit, he said this of World War I. I think it applies very much to our spiritual lives. War must be, while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. And what is it that we defend? It's not our physical lives. It's our spiritual lives. Peter said it best, we must be ready to defend our place in or give a defense to others about the hope that lies within us. And the hope that lies within us is the very thing that characterizes the entirety of our lives, the promise of the coming kingdom of God. So fight for it. 